Hello, everybody. Today's episode is with Vignesh Sundarasan from Lendroid, which is a decentralized margin trading platform built on top of Ethereum that uses 0x protocol. And two exciting things about today's episode. The first is 0x and Lendroid are part of this big crew that's coming to this East Denver hackathon that I'm organizing. Um, and so there's going to be 0x and Lendroid and Dharma and Set and Radar. And it's just going to be interesting to see how all those projects align and what their workshops look like and then what kind of the new hackers that get introduced to this ecosystem, how they build on top of 0x and Lendroid and Dharma and those things. So I'm excited for that. And one quick note is as you listen to today's episode and think about something like Lendroid in this ecosystem, just always think about risk. How is Lendroid, um, how does Lendroid allow people to move around risk within an ecosystem? So that's one thing that we talk about. And the second thing that we talk about is this project that, um, Vignesh has where he gives basic income to what he calls local heroes. And I just want to highlight this as this new mindset that I think a lot more people in crypto should take and are taking, um, but we could take even more, which is, hey, we have enough. Um, we live in a world of abundance. We don't need to like accumulate money in ourselves. We can let it flow through ourselves. And that mindset is one that Vignesh is definitely taking here with some of his um, experimentation where he gives basic income to these various people around the world. And I just want to state that this kind of mindset is what is this project that I'm working on called the Crypto Pledge, where you essentially say, hey, I pledge to, for however much money I'm making within crypto, I pledge to give some of that back to the ecosystem. And we've seen some of this in small pieces, but I think we all, as in as a collective group, need to um, take this pledge together to say, hey, we're not just in it to win it, we're in it to win it for everybody. Um, and, and the key thing here is that winning it is it's a win-win, because after about $45,000, you stop getting getting happier when you get more money. Um, and so uh, if you're optimizing for happiness, um, then at that point, you should start to give back. So um, with that kind of mindset, um, I'm really excited to see someone like Vignesh taking that um, head on and, and experimenting with his basic income that he's giving to people. Um, so with that, um, please reach out if you're interested to chat more about Crypto Pledge, or if you're interested um, in East Denver, go to ethdenver.com. That's E-T-H denver.com and apply and Vignesh will be there along with the whole Xerox ecosystem. Um, so with that, enjoy today's episode with uh, Vignesh from Lendroid. Goodbye. Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. And in this podcast, we take a systems thinking approach to doing good in the world, and we have a couple different series that focus on different system scopes. And today, we're especially focusing on Series C software systems, where we ask the question, what systems are we implementing in code? And I'm very happy to introduce Vignesh Sundarasan to the show. Vignesh is the CEO of Lendroid, a decentralized margin trading protocol built on the OX protocol. Vignesh, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to chat. And, and Vignesh and I actually met at DEF CON. Um, and so we talked about some of these things there, but uh, we're going to go deeper today uh, for our listeners. So could you start, Vignesh, with giving us kind of a high-level overview of Lendroid? Sure. So Lendroid uh, started as a, a decentralized lending protocol. So the idea was to do uh, decentralized lending between digital assets. So you put uh, one of the digital assets as the collateral, and you can borrow any other digital asset. That was the idea. But then what happened was, as we made more partnerships in the industry, we found that there's a nice use case, which is to work with margin trading. So we, what we are doing is we are starting with margin trading on 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 chain uh, and and moving and building this decentralized lending 
uh, protocol around it so that we can we can build more applications on top of it. Okay, so, and for someone like me, I have essentially zero financial background, which is uh, kind of sad, but also kind of nice, because then I can say questions like, so what is mar- margin trading? <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a, this is a nice uh, financial area to, to start with, because margin trading, um, for, for people who know trading, you, you, what, what you do is you take a position of a specific asset, which you believe is going to perform well, uh, in the future, uh, so that you can profit out of your uh, knowledge or assumptions, right? In the same way, margin trading is basically you go out and take a loan and go uh, and go on a leverage on your beliefs. So, if you have hundred dollars in your pocket, you can go buy hundred dollars worth of shares that you believe will go up, or then you can go and borrow thousand dollars and say, "I want to be long thousand dollars." It's more risky. But if you if if it turns out to be right, you make more profit, right? So margin trading is basically leveraging your uh, beliefs. Got it. Cool. So yeah, you can. If I believe that's you know, let's say some assets going to go up, um, or I guess I have a question here. What kind of assets can I bet on? Can I can I um, do this margin trading on? So traditionally speaking, margin trading is available in in all all uh, traditional exchanges too. For crypto or the digital assets one, uh, it is available on a very few assets. But traditionally, you can you can go leverage on your apartment building. You can go leverage on uh, on uh, commodities. You can you can go leverage on a foreign exchange, a uh, foreign currency, or or Apple stocks or anything, right? So anything that has a price on it, someone will will let you leverage on it. So some exchange Got it. on digital assets, we try to do that. Got it. Sweet. So I can say, let's say I think that the price of Bitcoin is going to go up, um, and so, and if I have a hundred bucks, I could buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. But what you're saying is that with uh, margin trading, instead I would essentially leverage my hundred dollars, and I can turn it into, let's say, a thousand dollars or whatever, and and bet that on Bitcoin. Is that right? Yes. So you get thousand dollars worth of exposure to Bitcoin. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I like that term. Thousand dollars worth of exposure. And so, what happens then? Um, who are the people that are taking up the risk? You know, if I say I only have a hundred bucks, but I'm, you know, can I do a trillion dollars or mil- like how? How? What is my multiplier that I can do? Um, and and who takes on that risk? Sure. So if you look at when I say mention the word exposure, it just means that if you have hundred dollars, obviously you can only buy hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but you have thousand dollars worth of exposure that means that you don't actually get to get the utility of the asset itself so you don't get to withdraw it and go use it in the real world right mm-hmm. but it's locked up in an account that some other party who gives you this leverage controls mm. traditionally this will be a broker uh, this will be a exchange this will be uh, the clearing house etc right so they will they will control your collateral and the positions you're holding and on the other side the people who are letting you hold this position are actually lenders. So you, you, you might go to, when you go on an exchange, all this uh, uh, concept is abstracted away from the end user. So he just gets the leverage. But on the other side, there are people who are lending you these $1,000 for a fixed interest rate. You're taking that interest, uh, which is all uh, centrally coordinated by the exchanges. And, and with that $1,000, you're actually buying Bitcoins. Right. But that's still stored in the exchange. So in a way, these guys who are in the middle, who are the exchange, who are the who act as a central counterparty 
and they take care of the risk that's involved in this whole process. Got it. Yeah. So there's a central counterparty, aka the lenders, right? That's the term that you used. Uh, it, in this case, the lenders are not the central counterparty. The 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 exchanges, okay. the middleman, is the is the central counterparty to the lenders and the margin traders. Got it. Great. Cool. 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 Um, yeah. So the exchanges in the middle. The I'm a margin trader. I'm on one end. I have a th- or in, so I have a hundred bucks that I want to leverage for a thousand dollars of exposure in Bitcoin. There's the um, the 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 middle person there um, and then on the other side is the lender and the lender has the they have the the collateral uh, and the positions um they actually are the ones that kind of have the thousand dollars in bitcoin is that right uh so how actually how it will work is the lenders actually give you the thousand dollars mm. right and they charge you interest on that so it will be in dollars not not in bitcoin yeah then what you do is with that thousand dollars you can you, the exchange will allow you to buy bitcoins with that. Got right? it. So the 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 loan you owe is in dollars. That's how you get a exposure in Bitcoin. Got it. And I'm only allowed to get exposure in Bitcoin. I can't take that thousand bucks and spend it on like food or whatever. Exactly. So it's locked within the exchange. And and you can only get exposures to things allowed by the central counterparty. Okay, so that makes sense. And and how does one determine? Um, I guess two questions. One, how does one determine the like multiplier? I'm not sure if there's a name for that multiplier, but the multiplier in terms of I can take my hundred bucks and turn it into how much money? Mm-hmm. So this multiplier is like just called leverage in mm-hmm. most situations. Uh, usually that depends on the volatility and is manic and is a. Uh, uh, is one of the major risk management parameters that's managed by the central counterparty, right? Now, if if the, if there is a huge volatility move in the price of the underlying asset, uh, the lenders might not get repaid. So that's a huge risk. So to make sure that the lenders always get repaid, uh, the central counterparty decides on this number in a way that that they can manage the risk. So it's usually between say two times to five thousand times, uh, depending on which market you are dealing with. Okay, wow. So if um, you go foreign exchange market, which is the traditional currency, US dollars versus uh, uh, euro market, you'll get a 5,000 uh, times leverage. Wow, that's fascinating. That Yeah, and, and it's the, the person who's taking the risk here primarily is that the, the central party in between. Um, and what happens, let's say, so if I... I get this, I spend my 100 bucks and I get $1,000 worth of exposure to Bitcoin um, through the lender, through the middle uh, counterparty. How then do I, what happens, like, at what point in time, like, if Bitcoin goes down a bunch or, like, what what happens if I want to, I guess, tell, tell me about the risk profile here. What happens sure. when things go down? So, to take the same example, if you have... If you had $100 worth of collateral uh, that's deposited with the central party, yep. now you have $1,000 worth of exposure. Now, Bitcoin falls down by 10%. That's $100. All your collateral is wiped out. Yep. So the, the central counterparty will not wait for that long. Usually what they do is if, if your position drops by, say, 5% in this case, they will close out your position. Mm. right? So they will come and intervene, close out your position. Uh, uh, but if, if it actually goes up, you can keep holding on to your position, right? So when you make a profit, uh, you you your position keeps on being open. When it comes down, the, the, there is intervention required, and the central counterparty comes in. So usually it's very tight in this case. 
Got it. And so once, and specifically talking about Lendroid, I guess, does Lendroid, who are these, is this is this system that we've been talking about here, does that same system exist on Lendroid? So with Lendroid, the idea is that we, were, we are talking repeatedly about the central counterparty, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is we are replacing this central counterparty with a smart contract. So instead of a central counterparty being a system, being being a set of banks, being being a set of clearinghouses, what we are doing is we're putting a, cent, uh, a, a smart contract which which is trust independent, which can hold funds and uh, which will which has certain parameters that that when achieved uh, will trigger a margin call or something. So with that set, uh, smart contract in the middle, there is a lot of efficiency improvements that we can achieve, right? Yep. Yep. So that smart contract, as you said there, this, in general, the centralized counterparty is the one who determines um, at what when the percentage goes down uh, of the of the asset, then they say, okay, we're going to close out your position because you don't have enough collateral left. Now, all of that logic will be done within a smart contract. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And, and can you um, create all kinds of different smart contracts with different parameters here that say, hey, if, you know, 50% of their collateral goes away or if, you know, 5%, you know, like, is it essentially a way to kind of create these centralized or to, 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 in a, to create these flexible smart contracts with different percentages there? Sure. So when it comes to smart contract uh, and specifically Lendrite smart contract, how it works is, because we are removing the the human smartness of the central counterparty, uh, the smart contract is not really smart in the sense that it does not have a AI or something that's, that it can let it determine the leverage levels, right? So what would happen is the smart contract just f- performs like a template. So the lenders and the margin traders fix on these terms by negotiating off off chain. And then just fixing, uh, once they negotiated these terms off-chain, they can just represent the terms on-chain and then go for the uh, term of the loan or the leverage, mm. right? So the, the smart contract just provides them a template which they fill fill out. Great. That makes sense. Uh, and I'm reminded a little bit of like maybe like Steemit's uh, content token where you essentially can yeah, off-chain determine what the smart contract looks like. And you're like, sweet, do we agree on this? Okay, we do. Boom, click go. And that smart contract essentially gets pushed. And then we are essentially doing our margin trading through that smart contract. Exactly. That makes sense. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, one side of things here from Lendroid that um, we haven't talked about is this like Wrangler position. <laughs> Have we actually talked about it but haven't named it? Or tell me about this Wrangler position. So sure. So Wranglers are uh, are uh, so how how uh, Lendroid when it comes to uh, dealing with the margin call works is because again the smart contract is not a central counterparty or a company which is uh, which is looking at these positions all the time. We have. Uh, we have moved this uh, uh, important computational uh, job to off-chain. So on-chain, on Ethereum, which we are building on top of, is not very effective for, for recurring tasks and, and computation-heavy tasks. And usually margin, margin-level margin monitoring to make sure that the margin levels of the margin traders are, are at the right position mm-hmm. is a very, very computation-intensive task. Mm-hmm. So what we did was, we moved this task away from the chain and put it off chain and said that, okay, now if you are if you want to help us do this, you can be a wrangler. So these wranglers are have access to the data that's on the smart contract about all these margin traders and, and lenders. What they can do is on off chain, 
using the market data, external market data, they can figure out if the margin levels are falling down. And if they find that the margin levels are falling down, they can intervene uh, in, in, like in, the, in the traditional world, the central counterparty will intervene. Here, the wranglers are given that power. So they will intervene and say that, oh, we have to margin call this specific account, right? Yeah. So we push that uh, work to the wranglers. Got it. Yeah, so in that, I mean, it sounds like that's going to be the incentivization structure as well in terms of the utility value of the token. Is that right, where you incentivize these wranglers to do this wrangling work by, by giving them, uh, by incentivizing them with your token? Is that right? Exactly correct, yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. What is this? What what is the utility value of uh, your token, and how does that uh, incentivize these these wranglers? Sure. So, uh, in terms of the wranglers itself, they 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 these are not people who can uh, who, they have to be computationally heavy. So they spend a lot of resources in in looking at these margin accounts and monitoring these margin accounts all the time. Usually, in the central case, what happens is the central counterparty will charge a fee from both the lenders and the margin traders in order to uh, monetize their operations uh, to, to make sure that operations are profitable. In this case, for the wranglers who are do- helping this protocol stay healthy, they are not directly monetized, right? So this is where the token comes in. Uh, the token, uh, which is which we call them LSTs, uh, Lendrite Support Tokens, uh, is usually paid by both the lenders and margin traders who are enjoying the protocol to the wranglers who are actually helping the protocol. Uh, and how this will be paid is based on a time variable. So dip- loans are time-based. So if the, the, ta- the loan uh, is, is for two days, uh, and, and if there's a margin call, what happens is because the margin, uh, the wrangler has been monitoring this account for a longer time, he gets paid a lot more, right? And, and if it's a shorter time, he pay- gets paid a lot less. So it's proportional to the amount of time the wrangler spends on it, and then, what happens is there is also an auction when it comes to when it comes to the liquidation part of the margin account itself, where the wrangler can participate and earn a bounty for that. Got it. So, yeah, both when when I guess and is there a yeah? So when the margin trader and the lender get into this contract, they're essentially paying the um, the wrangler in LST uh, in order to essentially watch the account, and they're paying him or her in terms of how long that person has to watch the account. Um, and then once there is an auction, uh, or or once uh, there. The position gets lost, and once the uh, once the wrangler says, "Hey, we need to close out this position," then there's an auction on the remaining assets that exist, and the wrangler can take part in that. Is that all correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So um, that makes it. Does the wrangler have? I guess one final thing on that auction question is like, so let's say, so back to our classic hundred dollars a bitcoin example. Um, mm-hmm. I do the hundred dollars bitcoin, but I get um, uh, exposure to a thousand dollars worth of or hundred dollars and then a thousand dollars worth of bitcoin with that thousand uh, dollars of exposure. Oh no, it goes down um, some percentage, and let's say it goes down to nine hundred and fifty or whatever. So my collateral has been chopped in half, and then that triggers the smart contract maybe, and the wrangler says, "Oh man, we need to intervene here." I have $50 worth of um, collateral left, and mm-hmm. then that will be auctioned off. Is that right? Exactly. So how it works is obviously there is $100 worth of collateral left, but the $50 will go to just pay the pay off the loan, right? The mm-hmm. difference or the loss that was incurred. Now there is additional $50 
that is what the auction goes for so the wranglers can fight and and take as little as the collateral with them so that uh, so that it's profitable for them to to do this business at the same time because there, there is this competition the margin trader might get back some part of the collateral right i guess yes yeah, so what determines that auction like how does that auction work so the auction uh, the idea is th- these are the uh, these are the interesting uh, uh, power of of smart contracts and and the open blockchain so we what we can do is we can have a small 3 minute auction um, and that's what we do we have a small 3 minute auction once one wrangler identifies a falling position a fallen margin account he he starts this process of an auction and then if there are a number of uh, wranglers what they can do is they can bid for the same account for different amounts of the remaining collateral uh, the guy who bids for the least collateral gets to keep the account right and then he he uh, so what happens is this is profit he he will do that only if it is profitable for him mm-hmm. and and also economically uh, viable for him at the same time because he is competing with others there might be say 20 dollars of collateral that's left in the in the in the in the account that goes back to the margin trader Hmm, okay, I think I get that. So, so you have the uh, so it started with a hundred, went up to a thousand. Yep. It went down in price. So the uh, ex, you know my thousand dollars exposure, the collateral went down to um, essentially. I guess yeah. So so the price of Bitcoin went down from a thousand, uh, or my the the amount of exposure that I had started at a thousand, and then it, because of the price decreased to let's say nine fifty, um, then my essentially you check that amount that it went down against the amount of collateral that i had you're like oh man that's 50 percent um of of this hundred that i initially had then that auction goes off where you say hey we're going to auction off um the remaining 50 and a bunch of wranglers get in and determine who wants to get that account and whoever essentially bids the least amount uh gets to keep that account and are you saying that like let's say that one of the wranglers bids 20 and that's like the the least amount then 30 or then 30 dollars would be given back to the uh margin trader exactly because this is actually a little complicated and it gets even more complicated because the wranglers need not bid for the whole account they can bid for the part part of an account so they can do just fine like like half of the account and stuff so it's a very how do i say it's a very it's something that I would have to show you more than uh, trying to explain. But the idea is that yes, uh, the wranglers fight for the same account, and and the guy who's bidding for the least amount of collateral uh, gets to win the account. Here, he is actually repaying the loans that the that the uh, margin trader actually uh, opened up, right? So mm-hmm. for repaying the account, he gets to keep the positions that the uh, margin trader had, along with ex- additional collateral. That that will be his business, right? Mm-hmm. So, say for example, I repay thousand dollars. I I at least need thousand uh, dollars for it to be profitable. Now the positions are only worth nine fifty. So I get the positions, which is nine fifty. Now I obviously have to get fifty dollars worth of collateral uh, to even break even. And after that, I can say, okay, I need only twenty, right? So that's the bidding part. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great. Fifty dollars of collateral and then an additional collateral. Cool. That makes sense. So I guess the, you know, kind of taking a step back here and, and tell me about the, um, I kind of understand how the, the Lendroid system works. Now, how does Lendroid 
operate with the OX protocol? Sure. Uh, so there is this question. Uh, uh, if we, we might have to refer it to as 0x. Oh, yes. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah. <laughs> so 0x protocol is, is actually brilliant. Uh, it is non-rent-seeking, encouraging partnerships. And, and what, what they do is they, they allow atomic swaps of tokens. So you, if you have one token and then you want to move into another token, you can just use 0x to do that. And it is all decentralized. It is on-chain. And it is just easy. There is no friction. There is no, uh, say, going through exchange or anything. It's it's just on-chain and it's just easy. Now, for something like Lendroid, which is also on-chain, non-rent-seeking and, and decentralized, we want to allow our users to, to move from one token to another. Obviously, that's trading, right? So mm-hmm. without without being able to, if you, if you actually borrowed some, some tokens, now with a, with a borrowed capital, you would want to trade into other tokens. Now, in, for that part, we are not building our own order book because that will be reinventing the whole wheel again. So we are just using 0x and allowing our users to, to, to do the trades as they wish uh, using that protocol. Great. Yep. Got it. Um, yeah, and I think that that makes sense. And I think that the uh, something on your website that I think directly maps onto this is essentially where you say, hey, we create a distributed pool of loan offers and this like global lending liquidity pool. So you're essentially saying, hey, yeah, people can lend uh, either way, one way or the other way to get uh, essentially to create this liquidity pool. And then what OX does is they have this, you know, a shared liquidity pool of order books um, to essentially facilitate these these swaps, these atomic swaps. Exactly. Yeah, that's correct. So there's yeah two kinds of liquidity there: the liquidity with respect to kind of the lending pool um, and, and loan offers, and then the liquidity with respect to kind of the atomic swaps and or order books. Yeah. Okay. So and I guess does it you know on your website it says that you guys um, are allies with or what have you with like Ocean and Radar Relay? How do how do you overlap with with those groups as well? So as we said, we are allies, meaning that. We are actually working with, with these companies. If you look at Ocean and Radar Relay, they are all uh, they are all new startups. Uh, they, they are not uh, they are not their own token. They are companies which are building and wa- want to be the future decentralized exchanges, right? So these companies are actually working with ZeroX protocol in order to enable people to trade, and that's the first first functionality of any exchange. Now, exchange functionality is not complete without having the margin trading part and the lending part. So that is where we come in. So we work with these relayers who are already working with 0x, and we are adding the other other two building blocks to enable margin trading. So that's how we are working with these companies. Got it. So in, in Ocean and Radar Relay are just two different kinds of relayers built on top of OX protocol. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so any kind of... And to check here, I guess... You know, are you guys directly um, working with uh, OX protocol, or is there or ZeroX protocol rather, or are you as other like peer-to-peer lending uh, and or rather peer-to-peer order book liquidity platforms um, show up? Can you are you interoperable with them? Oh yeah, very much. So again, uh, we would we we would stay agnostic to the protocol that's underlying. Uh, we will because in with our smart contract, we just have this module. Which which connects with zero x to allow the swaps. Now we can always replace that module with a or or have another module and have another decentralized exchange protocol. And we can have both 
for the same user also, right? Yep. So smart contracts. That's good. Cool. Yeah, so that makes sense. And I guess one final question here before we kind of transition is, do you expect, so these these current Wranglers, a.k.a. what they're called today is like centralized, uh, what would you call them, centralized, you know, mark, what, what would you call the centralized counterparties? Uh, centralized counterparties, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, that are turning into these decentralized, incentivized Wranglers. Do you expect the existing centralized counterparties to um, start taking the role of these Wranglers? Yeah. So if you look at uh, a company like uh, Bitfinex, uh, mm-hmm. they've already started that process. Uh, in this in this scenario where uh, we are moving into the decentralized world, actually it does not disturb the businesses of the of the exchanges itself. That's the interesting part here. So again, the parts where there is computation and and people have to make a profit for that, or or enabling a UI or or creating liquidity for all these things. These are all businesses that people can still make money out of. And that is what our exchange is. So what we are actually removing is only the custodian part, uh, like where the funds are being held is now moved from a central uh, wallet to the smart contract. And that's really like all these companies like Bitfinex or Polonix will be happy to do this, where they still keep making the profit, but they don't have the responsibility of holding user funds. Right. So these people are actually considering it. For example, Bitfinex is launching this already launched this project called Ethfinex, which is which is a decentralized form of uh, it. It is it is starting to be a decentralized form. They're starting with a centralized architecture, but the idea is to move into a decentralized exchange. Got it. But so you would expect these decentralized exchanges to who are already doing this job, essentially, you expect them to become wranglers in the future. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, okay. and, and many more other people also. It's it's open. It's permissionless. Yep. So anyone can be a wrangler, right? Yep. Yep. And, and it essentially, yeah, you you turn the you turn wrangling into a market. Uh, the other thing that Vignesh and I want to talk about, which we actually talked about in DevCon, was. Uh, like on the more philosophical side. So, um, Vignesh, could you talk about some of the like universal basic income things that you're doing and, and kind of the, the funding that you're doing there? Sure, yeah. So actually, uh, the, the one of my other passions, uh, which, is, uh, which is prosperity, right? Like, uh, and I come from this part of the world, which, which, is, which is India. That, that's where I was originally born and raised. And uh, I live in the city called Chennai, which is the southern part of India. Now, as I grew up, all all I had in my life was inspirations. I had a lot of struggles actually to to break even in most of the times. I, I did not have a laptop until I was coding for three years. And, and then I made my first app, sold it. And that's how I bought my first laptop, right? Now, the funny part is I used to actually borrow my friend's laptops all the time. And uh, it, it was a really hard time for me. So coming from India... It's it's really hard because you need a really great motivation to break that kind of a barrier, which is if you are if you don't you don't get a chance uh, to to be uh, even if you're motivated, the reality around you might push you down, and and that's why I, when I when I go back to Chennai, I see so many bright minds, so many people that can be inspiring who are being uh, held back and pulled down because of the practicality of the world. Right. And that's why I think blockchain and and there is this promise where people talk about universal basic income all the time. 
And and I've seen, uh, I, I do see something like that very powerfully inspiring a lot of people in this world. And I, I completely don't agree with the idea of universal basic income where I don't think it's practically possible for us to give give away money to everyone across the world. And usually when people talk about base, universal basic income, we talk about a specific geography and we don't actually talk about it universally, right? So for me, uh, what what I want to do and I, what I'm trying to do already is to see if, if creating heroes, uh, local heroes in specific parts of the world uh, can be, can actually inspire people around them uh, to create a bit better, uh, b- better world, right? So if you, if you look at Chennai, I, I know so many people who are uh, struggling because th- there, there is no concept of, say, minimum wage or, or you can do a part-time and, and then also follow your passion kind of a deal in India. So when you actually go to a job, they actually make you work for six days or seven days a week. And, and you would have to work 12 hours every day and, and, and you will get paid like $300. It's very hard. Because then, where is the passion? You you will be drained out of what what you, whatever you're doing. That's uh, that's mundane uh, work. But you're also drained out of of being uh, being a hero, right? Now, if we can identify these people in this part of the world who who could be inspiring and and great, uh, and and give them like not like just say four hundred dollars a month to them, right? they, you free them up to uh, chase passion and that's what i'm doing that's, that's my actually that's one of my initiatives it's called aram and uh, i'm starting to work on the details of it actually what happened was after uh, i worked with give it uh, another project uh, uh, a beautiful project that's on the blockchain so my plan is to do something where we do a nice uh, blockchain based system where uh, where we can have reviewers and and delegates who can identify these people locally and fund heroes in these specific regions. Uh, not a lot, uh, $400, $500 a month, and, and we can create great things in this world. Wow, yeah, I like it. I think that, I mean, it's just a good reminder of kind of why a lot of people are in blockchain. Uh, and, and you're kind of, you know, we spent the first 25 minutes talking about Lendroid and, you know, trying to get it into my little brain about how it works. And, and there's all that kind of, you know, technical financial software stuff. Um, yeah. But really the, the end result goal is a lot of these things that you're talking about where you say, hey, you know, for someone like you growing up in Chennai, the amount of motivation need to break that barrier is so high. And so when we think about like the, you know, the decentralization of power that's also related to this, you know, democratization of opportunity that we can say, hey, anybody has the, the possibility to succeed, even if, you know, no matter where you're born around the world or whatever. Um, and I like what you're doing and saying, I like the term local heroes um, mm-hmm. and, and to say, hey, how can we essentially get a local community to kind of in a bottom up way, determine who the heroes in their community are and give them the ability to kind of be heroes and to, to, to have this kind of longer term thinking or whatever. Um, it also reminds me of uh, Give Directly, which is a uh, nonprofit that is running the, a huge basic income study right now. Uh, 26,000 people are receiving um, basic income from anywhere from two years to 10 years. And as they've, they haven't done, it's in this big randomized control trial with these four different groups, um, but they've done a little bit of qualitative, they've gotten a little bit of qualitative data from it thus far. And the initial qualitative data was essentially 
everybody can just do long-term thinking now. The moment that you start to give people a universal basic income, the moment that you start to say, hey, you don't have to just think about only tomorrow, you know, then you kind of allow them to to think in this way that just helps everybody because it's long-term thinking is pro. Um, so does that does that sound kind of aligned with what you're doing with Aram? Yeah, that's very correct. Uh, my fear is that with universal basic income itself, where a few trials which I've had in the past, what I felt is that people, because, because of the kind of scarcity and poverty people are coming from, uh, we, it's not just the money they should receive, but uh, it, it should be... Uh, directed at specific people who who can be passionate who can be inspiring right because all else what happens is it creates a situation where people are saying oh i have 400 dollars and let me let me just be like like lazy right Mm -hmm. so it it creates the situation because they're still better off than the guy who's not getting that 400 dollars he might go and rub rub that on someone's face and say oh i have 400 dollars you don't Right. So it's 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 a it's a very interesting balance. And that's why instead of going for a blanket uh, a strategy, I wanted to go for a more of a hero's strategy where the accountability is local, but the funding is global. Mm. Right. That's the that's more of the idea. Cool. Well, I love it. The The accountability is local, but the funding is global. Uh, those are the things that we can do in our new decentralized land, this kind of bimodal distribution <laughs> between local and global. Um, and with that, uh, Vignesh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. One thing I wanted to add is that we are, we are going into this phase of uh, uh, life where we get to have more than one career, right? Like, so uh, I've been working on code for a very long time, working on technical stuff. And then I also get to do get to do something like Aram, and and probably I will get to do some something else also, right? Everyone in this world should look look at their lives like that. Uh, Ten years, twenty years is a career, and then you can you can do other things also. Like just a reminder, because it's it's not forty years ago you used to be like my father used to work at a, a manufacturing company, and that was his life. Yeah. Now that's not the case. You get to have more careers, and and let's all go there. Go out there and help this world become more prosperous, and and that's that's my yeah. Beautiful, yeah, I like it. And I think that there's a you can either do it by making your first career kind of a money making career, and then your second career is once you have that long ability to do long term thinking, then you can kind of give back in a good way, um, or you can kind of combine them into one and do kind of a social entrepreneurship impact investing in a given career uh, where you're kind of doing both at the same time. Uh, well, in any case, uh, thank you so much again for being on the show. Uh, and by the way, listeners, if you are interested. You can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Reese Lindmark. That's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. And if you want to learn more about the about Lendroid, just go to lendroid.com. That's L-E-N-D-R-O-I-D.com. Um, and, you know, check them out when they're at the Token Summit. Okay, great. Thanks so much and bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.